Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen today. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's message, please contact us. We're here to help. Now sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Good morning. Take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to focus on verse 7 through 12 uh, in a few moments, but before we get there, um, I want to kind of establish a little bit of background, verse 1 through 6. Uh, what we're going to talk about today to go along with our Seriously Serving uh, series is uh, Unforgettable Work. And you'll understand that title as we get on further into our main text today. But more or less, God promises He will not forget what we do for others for His name's sake. And, and guys, that ought to encourage us to really serve Him because God's not going to forget it. He's not going to overlook it whatsoever. But some background uh, to... The passage we're going to look at is found in verse 1 through 6. And, and the reason I want to read this first and make a few comments is that a lot of people misinterpret what's said, especially in verses 4 through 6. And I don't want to look like, even though we're not going verse by verse through Hebrews, I don't want it to look like that we're trying to skip some type of difficult uh, passage. And, and also, I'm called upon to equip you. So part of equipping you is to be sure you understand clearly the scriptures, especially in things about important uh, doctrine. So look with me at, at verse 1 through 6. Let me read through there and, and make a few comments. Uh, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now guys, that's the context of everything we're talking about this morning. The context is not how to get saved or can you lose your salvation. You'll understand why I say that in a moment. The context is going on to maturity. That's the context. Matter of fact, the way that's phrased in the Greek uh, talks about being carried on to maturity. That's what God wants to do for us. He, he wants to carry us forward to maturity where we're not just babies in Christ still. Now, keep reading with me in this passage of Scripture. Uh, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. So he's writing to Hebrew believers who had thought at one time the way to be saved was by obeying the law. But you can't be saved by obeying the law. That's dead works. That will not cause you to be saved. Then he goes on and he says this, in uh, of faith toward God. He's reminding these Hebrew believers that salvation is through faith, not works. Verse 2 and verse 3, uh, and the instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and, and this we will do if God permits. So what he's basically saying there is, I'm not writing about baptism right now. I'm not writing about these other doctrines right now. It's not that they're unimportant, but he's saying, that's not my point that I'm making right now. And if God allows me to discuss it, I will later in the book of Hebrews. Now look at verse 4 through 6. This is where people <clears throat> get confused. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, 
since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now, I can promise you one thing those verses are not teaching. <laughs> those verses are not teaching you can lose your salvation. And anytime you come across a passage that seems a little bit confusing, guys, you need to look at what the bulk of Scripture teaches. The bulk of Scripture teaches that salvation in Christ is everlasting. Jesus himself said, we're in the Father's hand in John 10. No one can take us from the Father's hand. And by the way, the same writer here in Hebrews that's writing these verses at the end of this chapter, and we'll read it right near the end, he uses his promise to Abraham showing that God doesn't lie, that God always keeps his promises. So if he's saying you can't lose your salvation, it would be weird at the end of the chapter, he's saying you can't lose your salvation, wouldn't it? that it's based on the promise of God. Now, some interpretations that some people have, just to where you'll be equipped a little bit in this, some people believe he's talking about a hypothetical situation. If it were possible, but it's not really possible. Some people believe he's writing to Hebrew believers who were going back to temple rites and do temple sacrifice and things like that. That could be a viable possibility. He could be writing to them. Some people believe he's writing to people that went so far in trusting Christ, but they did not really fully trust Christ. I reject that because when you read everything that was said there, man, they've tasted of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they've you know, tasted of the things to come and, and all that we read a moment ago. I don't think it's talking about someone that went so far and, and just didn't finish trusting in Christ. I don't think that's what it's teaching. Some people believe it teaches you can lose your salvation but the same people that teach you, you can lose your salvation, teach, but you can get saved again and get it back. I'll tell you what, if you read this passage clearly, if it teaches you can lose your salvation, it also teaches you can never get it back. That's not what's being taught, though. The wording that he uses in the tenses in the Greek really aligns itself to this type of interpretation. What he is saying is, while a person is dishonoring Christ, why they are doing things as though they're not honoring what Christ did for them on the cross. Thus, they're like crucifying Christ again. While they're doing things that hold him in open shame, they cannot be actively doing those things and repent at the same time. Does that make sense? In other words, guys, if you're actively practicing some kind of sin, in the moment you're actively practicing that sin, you're not repenting because if you're repenting, guess what? You wouldn't be actively committing that sin. I think that's what he's addressing here. It, it, because it's talking about Christian maturity. Going on to maturity was a context. Now, that being said, we're going to pick up in verse 7 through 12. And I want you to notice two things as we are going to be talking about how what we do for others in the name of Christ, in the name of God, is unforgettable work. But, but I want us to notice two important things. One's a question and one's a motivation. One is a question and one is a motivation. Here's the question. The question is, are you being useful or worthless? Now, everybody look this way because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want someone leaving from here and saying, I went to day three church today and he told me I was a worthless person. That's not what I'm saying at all. You're not worthless. You don't know why I know you're not worthless? Because Jesus died on the cross for you. God sent his son to die for you. 
You are of eternal value because of what God did. So, I say, I'm not talking about who you are. I'm talking about what you do. Are you being useful or are you being worthless? Look, look at verse 7 and 8. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8, for land, and think of you being the land. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. So in other words, guys, the the land is being rained upon and the expectation of that land that has been rained upon is to produce a useful crop that, that can benefit people. And when that happens, that land was receiving a blessing from God. But on the other hand, look at verse 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. I've never found a good use for thorns and thistles yet. Have you? I'll illustrate it from about two days ago. I was on our property where we moved to, and I was trying to kind of cut a, a new pathway through the edge of a field, and I was walking through there, and at every turn, a briar was catching onto my clothing or catching onto my hand. I can show you the scars or catching onto my, my hat or even the, the, you know, my ear at, at one point. And, and I'm telling you what, in, the, in that moment, I thought to myself, I hate briars. I hate thorns. I'm not finding any good use for them. Have you baked a cake using thorns? What, what use is thorns? And also, guys, you need to remember this. Where did thorns and thistles come from? From the original fall of mankind into sin. So, so thorns and thistles are to be thought of as some kind of positive thing. And, and what he's saying is, if, if this land that had continually been blessed with rain doesn't bring forth a good crop, if it brings forth thorns and thistles, then it's bringing forth a crop that is worthless. And it's talking about that crop that is worthless, not the land being burned, but the thorns and thistles that it brought forth, the works that were no good, that have no eternal value, would be burned up. Now, the Apostle Paul writes something similar to that. He talks about us serving Christ, and we can send kind of forward to heaven. We, we can be sending good building materials to heaven, like uh, uh, jewels and precious metals, or you can send wood, hay, and stubble. What happens with wood, hay, and stubble when it's put to fire? Burns up. In other words, guys, if we're not careful, we'll be spending our lives doing things that won't matter in eternity. We can be spending our lives doing worthless things. I'm not saying you're worthless, but I'm saying we need to ask ourselves this question. And what I am doing for God, is it useful? Is it beneficial to someone else? Or is it worthless? And one day before his judgment seat, it will just be burned up and won't matter one bit in eternity. It will not matter one bit in eternity. The, the illustration is this that he's given. You are the land. I'm the land. We're the land. And God has rained upon us spiritually. And guys, from the time you were a child and your grandmother was reading the Bible, praying to you, God's raining on you. 
When, when you were in Sunday school class as a child or in youth group as a teenager, and someone was investing in you. They, they were reigning. God was using them to reign spiritually upon you. When someone shared the gospel with you, God was reigning upon you spiritually. When you come to church and you worship through worship songs and, and listen to messages, hopefully God is reigning upon you spiritually. And that means you ought to be doing this. You ought to be bringing forth a crop that's useful. A crop that will last. Works that will last for eternity. Instead of us just bringing forth something that's like a thorn bush or a thistle that is worthless. If we're not being useful for Christ and His kingdom, what we're doing is producing worthless things. I'm not saying all those things are bad. But there's a lot of things, guys, in this world that we tie up our time in that won't last in eternity. It'll be gone. Our best hobbies or whatever will not stand for an eternal reward. It's only what we do for Christ and others that will last. That's why we need to be useful and not producing something worthless. We need to be going on to maturity instead of being like babies in Christ, failing to serve Him. So ask yourself this question, serious question, am I being useful or worthless? Once again, listen, I'm not saying you're worthless. You're of high value to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He died for you. But what you are doing with your life, the way you're living your life, am I being useful or worthless? Can I make a stab at probably what you're thinking and what you're feeling? Because I studied this, I would have preached this last week. So I have studied it now for two weeks. You know what I think probably all of us would feel? We're not being as useful as we ought to be. Including me. We're not bearing forth the crop we ought to because of the way God has reigned upon us spiritually. Now if you don't like the answer to that question, that's why we're going to go on and talk about a motivation because we can be motivated to change that. The motivation is this, serving God and others is better. And we're going to see how it's better in more than one way. But let me read this, the first part of verse 9 to start with. Though we speak in this way, in other words, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, though, though I just kind of chastise you a little bit, I'm, I'm challenging you, are you being like land that, that soaks in the rain, but then you're bringing forth a worthless crop? He said, even though I've challenged you like that, even though I speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. He said, I believe better things for you. Well, what are some of those better things? First one is this. Better things come from living a life which gives evidence of salvation. Better things comes from living a life that gives evidence of salvation. I did not read all of verse 9 a moment ago. I left off the very last part of verse 9. Look what it says. Things that belong to salvation. The writer of Hebrews under divine inspiration is saying, even though I've just kindly challenged you to evaluate whether you're being useful or whether you're being worthless, he's saying, I'm convinced of this for you. In my heart, I believe better for you. I, I believe that you're really being useful. I, I believe that you are doing things in your life that are things attached to salvation, that belong to salvation. The phrase he uses there means to, to hold as a possession. So he's saying to these 
Hebrew believers that he's writing to, even though I just kind of talked in a negative way, he said, here's what I believe. I, I believe that you have some things in your life that's attached to salvation that you're bringing forth as a crop. That's what he's saying to them. Guys, all of us know Christ as our Savior. There ought to be things in our lives that gives evidence that belong to salvation. He, he, under divine inspiration, is saying, even though I'm talking about the possibility that you may fall alongside. And by the way, that's another reason he wasn't writing here about losing salvation, because earlier on in that passage I read, verse 1 through 6, when he talks about falling away, he doesn't use the Greek word for apostasy. He uses the Greek word for fall alongside of. How many of us have ever messed up and we've fallen alongside of where we should have been? Huh? Didn't lose your salvation, you just fell alongside of. So even though he was talking to them about the fact that they might have fallen alongside of, he said, I've, I've got this hope, this confidence that you have things connected to salvation involved in your life, active in your life. He, he was saying he was sure these believers were like the field that had been rained upon is producing useful crops instead of unuseful crops, worthless crops. He said, I believe you're producing things that belong to your salvation, things that give evidence of your salvation. He, he said, I believe better things, useful things are being produced in your life, and that gives evidence of salvation because you're being useful to God and others. Guys, we need better things in our lives that belong to salvation. Let, let me ask you this. Would you be happy if all the confidence you had about knowing Christ as your Savior and knowing you're going to heaven would be that one day you walked an aisle, a preacher took you by the hand, laid you in a prayer, they signed you on the membership roll, you're stuck underneath the water, but then you went on to live your life just like you're living your life and you've never done anything for Jesus and you've never served others and you've never honored God with your life. Would that give you real confidence that you're saved? I don't know about you. I want more than that. <laughs> I want more than at 11 years old. I walked the aisle during revival service at Walnut Grove Baptist Church over in Wilkes County, and a few days later was baptized. I want more than that to give me confidence and assurance that I really know Him. I'm afraid some people don't have more than that. I'm afraid a lot of people are bringing forth worthless things, things that will not matter in eternity. A lot of people act like Christianity is this. It's all about how much we know. But it's not really about how much you know, but how much you show your faith. The way you live your life. Second motivation of serving God and others, being better, is, is this. It is better knowing God will never forget your work and love displayed in serving others for His sake. That's kind of the theme of what the message, the title of the message. Look at verse 10. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and love that you showed for His sake in serving the saints as you still do. He's saying God is not unjust. God is not unrighteous. God is not treacherous or wicked. By the way, the word for not here in the Greek is the absolute negative. He's saying absolutely God is not of the type of mindset that He will just forget what you do for Him. 
God will not be that treacherous. God will never, ever forget what you do for Christ's sake. That, that, that's what he is letting us know. God will never lose out of mind is what the word overlooked means. God will never neglect. He will never lose out of mind. He will never cover up. He'll never allow what you do for Him, the work you do for Him, and the love that you show for Him and others. He'll never allow that to be covered up. What we do for others for His sake, and that means in His name, in His authority, in His character, as we are like attendants to others, hosts to others, friends to others, ministering to others, God says, I will never forget what you do. Well, how does that apply to us? Maybe teaching Sunday school, working in children's ministry, helping with celebrate recovery, helping up here on stage if you've got the gifts and talents to worship, leading a small group, participating in a small group, sharing your faith with somebody else, reaching out and telling other people about the gospel, loving other people by your deeds. God is saying, if you're doing it for my sake, I'll never forget it. It will never be lost out of mind. Guys, if you want motivation to do something, maybe you didn't like the answer to the question a minute ago, am I being useful or am I being worthless? If you want motivation to do something for God, how's this for motivation? Whatever you do for others, for His sake, He will never, ever forget it. Isn't that pretty good motivation? You, you've done things for other people. Maybe a boss where you work at. <laughs> and you're really, really trying to do a good job. And they didn't appreciate it one lick. They never gave you any words of encouragement. They just overlooked what you were doing. Maybe you have a family member like that. Maybe you're married to a person like that. I don't know. Where you never, ever get any encouragement or any good words from anybody. And it's as though you're thinking to yourself, no one cares what I do. No one is paying attention to what I do. Well, I've got news for you. If you want someone to never, ever forget what you do, serve others for Christ's sake. And God says, I will never, ever forget what you do. By the way, don't live in the past. Did you see the very last part of verse 10? Look at what it says there. As you still do. It's great that you've done things that He will always remember. But don't live in the past. Don't say, well, I used to do that at church. Or I used to do that trying to serve others. Or I used to do that trying to serve Christ. And live in past glory. No, that's fine that you did it. And he will never forget it. But he says, as you still do. You need to still be serving others. Especially other believers. You need to be serving others for Christ's sake. As you still do. Don't stop doing it. Still do it. And he's remembering everything you do for him. One last motivation is found in verse 11 and 12. Having full assurance your faith is real is better. And I know that's a little bit like what we mentioned earlier, but look at verse 11 and 12. Having full assurance your faith is real is better. Verse 11, And we desire each one of you the writer of Hebrews is saying here, I've got a heart's desire. I'm, I've set my heart upon this. I'm longing after this. For all of you, for every believer, I have this desire for each one of you to show the same earnestness 
to show the same dedication, to show the same eagerness, to show the same speed in wanting to serve God and others. He said, I want you to be eager in doing this. I'm longing with the same for you to have the same earnestness and to have full assurance, to have a confident expectation of hope of the faith you have in Christ until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, so you won't be lazy, but instead you'll be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. More or less what he's saying there is this. Hey, the ones that receive the promises of God, like Abraham, that he's going to use as an illustration of that here in just a moment. He said, I want you to have the same earnestness that Abraham had. I want you to have the same earnestness that others before that had received the promise, that were heirs of the promise, and they held on to the promise. And they kept serving God, and they kept following God. He said, I want you to have that same earnestness because I want you to have a confident expectation of the hope that you have in Christ. He he said, I want you to live a life that is better from knowing that your faith is real. I want you to be an imitator of those who, through their patience, through I want you to mimic or imitate those who held on to the promises of God, who believe the promises of God. Hold on to it until the end. Then God inspires the writer of Hebrews to point to Abraham as an example of a person who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. We'll read that in a moment. And we're about done. But what I want you to clearly understand is this. God Always, 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 always keeps his promises. Never lies. He always keeps his promises. God promises in this passage of Scripture, he will never, ever forget what you do for others for his sake. He'll never forget. it. He'll never be lost from his mind. So that means that we need to be serving others for his sake. That means we need to be serving God and others and that also gives us additional confidence that our faith is real. But to increase that faith just a little bit, let me read verse 13 through 20. Then we're done. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Now guys, consider how important that is. God put his own character at stake when he promised to Abraham that based upon your seed, all the world's going to be blessed. At the time he promised that to Abraham, Abraham was old, his wife was old, and he didn't have any children. And yet Abraham patiently believed God and he held on to the promise. So God put his own character at stake. Had God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless your seed and through your seed, the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And had God not done it, God wouldn't be God because God would have told him a lie. And guys, predominantly, even though, yes, Abraham had a seed and the Hebrews and all that, the Jews and everything that followed. But here's the ultimate seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, (laughs) coming into this world and dying on the cross for the sins of the world so that through faith in him, people can be forgiven and have everlasting life. That's ultimately how God blessed the world through Abraham. In other words, the promise that God gives us in the gospel, he will not tell a lie. 
God puts his own character at stake when he said, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He puts his own character at stake. Let's keep reading. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited and obtained the promise, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, such as Abraham and others, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which, number one, it's impossible for God to lie. God did not lie to Abraham. God kept his promise to Abraham. And God will not lie to us concerning the gospel because the gospel is the ultimate fulfillment of Abraham being used to bless the world through Christ. And then he goes on and says, We who have fled for refuge have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, two things there. Number one, God cannot lie. <laughs> so that's motivation for us to serve him because he said, I'll never forget what you do for me. It's motivation for you to trust in Christ because he promises us he cannot lie. He put his own character at stake. But then we also have this as a reason. Our faith in Christ is just like an anchor that's already on the other side of the holies of holies in heaven. <laughs> on the other side of the curtain. An anchor has you tied to something, doesn't it? We're tied to Christ. We're tied as though we have an anchor already in heaven. And one day, that anchor is going to pull us through to the other side. And it says, Jesus has gone before us as a forerunner. In other words, Jesus is already there. And guess what? He's wanting us to join him. So if you know Christ as your Savior, he's there as a forerunner. He's longing for you to come be with him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he's longing for you to trust in him so you too can come and be with him. A forerunner in the Old Testament, would be sent back to the city, to the wall city, after a battle had been won. And the forerunner would come and let everybody know in the city, hey, the battle's won. And then following the forerunner would be members of the army that would come one or two, ten, fifty, a hundred at a time, whatever, gradually back to the city. But it's already been announced the battle is won. That's how Christ is our forerunner. Christ went to heaven and he said, the battle's won. I defeated sin and hell and death upon the cross and through my resurrection. The battle is won. And he's there as a forerunner. I already haven't announced that, but he's waiting on us to come and join him as the rest of the army. And eventually one day we will. We'll join him. But between now and then, he has things for us to do. Between now and then, between now and the time you see him face to face, he wants you to serve him and serve others. And when you do so, he calls it unforgettable work. Let's pray. Father, 
Forgive us when we allow the things of the world to tie up so much of our lives and so much of our time that somehow we convince ourselves we don't have time to serve others. We don't have time to serve you. We've gotten things upside down and reversed. Jesus told us that we're to put the kingdom of God first and all the other things that we get so worried about and concerned about will be added. Father, all too often we're like a land that's received your blessing time and time and time again. You've invested in us. You've poured spiritual rain upon us and then we don't bring forth the crop you desire us to bring forth. We're bringing forth worthless things that will not last. They will not stand the test of our works and judgment, and they'll be burned up one day. God, make us more like the land that's been blessed and rained upon, and we bear forth useful crops, useful fruit, things that will matter, things that will last for all eternity. Father, we thank you for the promise you give us in this passage of Scripture. You will never forget what we do for others, what we do for other saints, other believers, what we do for your name's sake. You'll never forget it. It'll never be out of your mind. So, Father, encourage us to do more, to serve Jesus and to honor Him. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place that maybe right now today they're they're worried, they've been challenged that maybe they don't really know you because they're trying to think of any type of useful crop they've brought forth. And Father, if that is the case, if they do not really know you, Father, give them the faith they need to authentically trust in Jesus. And then to take what you have rained upon them and use it to bring forth a useful crop for others. But Father, for all of us that know Christ as our Savior, that have no doubt that we know for sure that we're in a relationship with Him, and yet we're concerned about our usefulness. And right now we'd have to admit there's a lot of worthless things that we invest our lives in. Father, help us to change that. Help us to invest in your kingdom. Help us to invest in serving others for your honor, for your glory, for your name's sake. First in Christ's name we pray. Really authentically concerned. Why, why not come and stay after the service? Myself or John or Daryl and others would be glad to stay behind and talk to you and be sure that you know Christ is your Savior. But maybe as a believer, you're concerned, you're worried. You know what? When I think about the crop I'm bearing, doesn't seem to be useful. Doesn't seem like it's stuff that'll last for eternity. And you're worried about a lot of wasted, worthless time. Why not pray and say, God, help me change that. Help me to leave from here and go forth and bear the crop that you want me to bear in this world. God speaks to you and invites you to come. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.